In the beginning was the world. Oh, I see. You think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? It's just You think Jesus was some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts. Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with a good mate of mine, Warwick Marsh, who uh, heads up the Fatherhood Foundation. Warwick's also part of a uh, team that is setting up the National Day of Prayer for Marriage and uh, it's a day of fasting on July 24 down at Parliament House in Canberra. Now Warwick, you're well known for uh, your radio spots around the country. I've seen your YouTube clips. You're interviewed on secular and Christian radio stations about all sorts of topics, you know, ranging from parenting and marriage, and you're actually quite involved with a lot of politicians down in, in Canberra. Now, Warwick, let's find out a bit of your story. Tell me, uh, you, you became a Christian at the age of, of 16. What was your family upbringing like, and how did you become a Christian? Well, it's, uh, again, thank you for inviting us on the program. It really is great to be in History Makers, and uh, I've listened to um, several of your, your shows, and they're really fantastic, and uh, I really appreciate it. So it's an honour to be here, and it's a great question to kick this one off you know Washington Phillips was a uh, black blues singer and he said I was born to preach the gospel or I sure do enjoy my job and of course uh, I got a lot of uh, I like blues music roots music I'm a, actually a musician really and a songwriter if I um, if I'm anything um, and so my passion is is to share Jesus Christ with people and uh, that came into my life because I guess I had a dad that really loved God um, funnily enough, he didn't go to church. I think he had some disappointments with the church, and it's not uncommon. Uh, but he, he loved God, and he read the Scriptures. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I look at a great mum too, but mum and dad couldn't get on. So it was a bit of uh, World War Three at home, which sort of provided some complications growing up, th- uh, 13 different schools by the time I hit high school. And that's a few schools too many, I, I might add. And um, so there was a lot of confusion because of that pain and that uh, growing up in a broken home. And uh, trying to reconcile the fact, of course, that uh, here was my dad teaching me about the scriptures and about that God is love, and 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 my parents couldn't seem to sort of uh, um, love each other, and they spent more time really probably apart than they ever did spent together, which is very very sad. Um, Sixteen years of age, I thought about suicide. I I got so depressed at times. I can remember uh, crying myself to sleep because uh, you know. Mum and Dad were fighting, and it was pretty tough at home for me. Um, I think some kids sort of take that sort of thing. Um, I think all kids are affected by it, but certainly it, it really deeply affected me. And I guess I grew up to uh, not really liking the presence of other people, like to be on my own, and um, um, became a bit of a loner probably. And uh, I heard Billy Graham um, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ uh, on TV one night. And that was uh, 1969, um, and he was across here in Australia. And uh, he was sharing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that message is an amazing message because it shows that God loved us first, that God gave his only son. He couldn't give any more. What more can a man give than his very only son? And the Father in heaven gave his son that that I might have life. And that message was preached simply and soundly and scripturally by Billy Graham that night. And I can remember going into my room, kneeling by my bed, and saying, Father, I need you. Jesus, come into my life. Uh, change me, rescue me. I had really, in many ways, probably had a relationship with God uh, from a younger age, um, the truth be known, but I'd gotten away from the Lord. 
uh, with some um, you know wrong friends and some getting some bad habits and and, uh, and so on. And and that was the night I came to know Jesus, and I've never looked back since. And mate, uh, when you did that, did everyone in your family notice? Did all your friends, your schoolmates, did they all notice the change in your life? Well, I wish I could say that they did. Um, the truth of the matter is. Um, you know, it was more of a progression because, as I said to you, I have had that Christian influence all my life, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, and, uh, in fact, uh, as a young boy, I, I mentioned that uh, uh, when at four years of age, uh, my dad took me to Billy Graham Crusade, the 1959 Billy Graham Crusade. And it was raining. I remember the day. It was very wet and grey. And um, everyone was in their trench coats and umbrellas and hats. And when Billy Graham gave the appeal for people to come to Jesus, I asked my father to... Um, to go forward so I went forward even as a young boy so I had this influence of Christ so I guess the change wasn't as noticeable for many people but you know from my point of view um, in 1969 that was the that was the night I really committed my life to Christ and yes there has been enormous changes uh, as I've lived for Jesus. Okay well let's find out a little bit about your career so uh, you just mentioned before you've been a musician uh, you obviously run the Fatherhood Foundation now. We'll get to that soon. But what what did you do uh, in that gap after uh, finishing school, and, and what was your early career like? Well, I left uh, school, actually, interesting enough, to go to Youth of the Mission when I was 17 years of age in Wollongong. I was living in the Blue Mountains at Blackheath and uh, moved to um, to Wollongong to uh, help in a revival that was happening in 1972. Um, there was a thing called the Jesus Movement, um, and... Uh, it was incredible to see see the um, uh, see God moving amongst the young people, uh, you know, sort of surfers and uh, drug addicts, and people would come to know Jesus Christ at this coffee shop called the Lighthouse in Wollongong. So I, I went down there with the um, youth of the mission team, and you know, um, then I ended up uh, the, the sort of revival waned, and um, I ended up getting a job the building construction industry and uh, became a builder. I worked for myself for, um, uh, for the next um, 15 or so years and, uh, you know, off and on working for, for different uh, employees as well, but probably in the bulk I was working for, for myself. Went through the, the bad times and the good times in the building industry and, uh, you know, it's a, it can be a very tough industry actually because it's, uh, you know, rain can affect it and, of course, the economy. It's, it was the first one to go up or go down. And it's easy to make money when you're going up, but it's um, it's hard when you're going down to sort of um, rearrange things. And uh, I went through, uh, in 1984, I went through a, uh, a business failure, so that taught me a lot about life, thought about suicide, thought about a lot of other things as well. Ended up um, living virtually uh, in a garage with my family and um, slowly um, rebuilt my life. But in 1990, we um, we went around Australia and uh, launched out in the ministry. And what kind of ministry did you launch launch into then? Well, I, I love telling people about Jesus and uh, we'd always been playing music and doing things in schools and uh, working in the community, um, you know, for 15 years. In fact, I was involved with the, uh, a number of Christian surfing movies in the late, um, late 70s and we, we played at the Opera House with our band Living Water and uh, we also um, shared, uh, you know, did soundtracks and so I was involved in creative uh, ministry and creative music ministry but, but not full time but in 1990 we set off around Australia with a family and uh, we had a our son was playing drums at the time he's only 10 years of age which is a very good drummer my wife was playing keyboards and so we were playing in schools and Aboriginal communities 1990 we set off uh, thought I'd w- I took my tools with me and uh, thought I'd be able to work uh, for, for three weeks and then 
preach the gospel for three weeks and work for three weeks, but ultimately we just uh, kept on going. And uh, here we are today, 21 years later, uh, still sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, but of course things changed. We're still um, preaching the gospel in churches and sharing the good news, but I'm working in the Fatherhood Foundation and Australian Heart Ministries now. And tell me, what's the heart of the Fatherhood Foundation, for those who don't know? Well, the heart of the Fatherhood Foundation does still come out of the gospel. And uh, in 1990, we, we set up this informal ministry, Australian Heart Ministries. It was uh, formally incorporated in, in 2000. So that's been going now for 21 years. And 2002, out of that Australian Heart Ministries board meetings and deliberations, we realized that the problems in society were far and very, very wide and very, very deep. And, and a lot of those problems trace back to a deep father wound or an absence of a father, uh, of a father's love. And I'm talking about a natural father here. You know, fathers are very, very important. And um, I can remember going to this um, prayer breakfast in 1998 at, at Parliament House because I was working a lot with Aboriginal people. And um, we were involved in doing things in the Parliament, uh, 72 hours of prayer, praise and worship for our nation called the Praise Corroboree for a number of years. I worked with Ronnie Williams, Pastor Ronnie Williams, and he was at this uh, gathering at the prayer breakfast, and this politician asked all that, what are different problems, and we went through all the different problems. Abortion, 100,000 lives lost a year. Uh, the pornography problems, the escalating crime problems, drug problems, broken families, uh, all sorts of different problems that were enunciated. And this uh, Aboriginal elder, Ronnie Williams, who I'd worked with in Kalgoorlie Jail, uh, and uh, other jails and places right around Australia, he got up and said, our greatest problem and our greatest need is for fathers. And this is, as he said these words, I, I began to weep. And uh, he went on to say that uh, fathers who love their children, who love their wives, who put their families first, fathers in the community, fathers in the church. And as, as he said these words, uh, it, it just really hit me. And uh, it was those tears in 1998 that really became the foundation uh, for the work of the Dads for Kids Fatherhood Foundation. 2002, we started that. And here we are today, we're still reaching out for a weekly email. Of course, you've heard our spots on the radio. And we're reaching out with the good news that uh, dads are important and to encourage dads to go for gold for their families. Well, mate, I've been inspired uh, as I've heard your spots, as I've uh, got your emails. And, you know, you're also part of another ministry called the Canberra Declaration. And, um, you know, we we met at Parliament House uh, for the uh, National Prayer Breakfast uh, this year. And uh, we had a meeting that you convened with, with a number of different ministers from around the nation. And there was a defining moment for me uh, in that meeting too, Warwick, when uh, uh, Senator Kevin Andrews got up and said, look, he remembered when the divorce laws changed in Australia in 75. And uh, that uh, really uh, was a catalyst for so many uh, more divorces in this nation that have affected the social fabric of this nation. And he said, look, this year, there's a potential for the definition of marriage to be changed. Uh, and uh, he said, it will happen unless there's a miracle. And when he said that, he said, look, th- this will have long-lasting ramifications if, if this change goes through on the definition of marriage. And I think you and I and a team were just struck to the heart. So we decided we'd launch this uh, National Day of Prayer and Fasting on July 24 at Parliament House. And it's, uh, it's available for those that go on the day, but also for those that want to pray in their churches around the nation. Uh, and uh, tell us, Warwick, uh, how important do you think this National Day of Prayer and Fasting is for this nation? Well, look, I think it is critical. I, I think God is always the answer, and prayer is the lifeline. Um, if, if, if a man is drowning, um, you throw him a lifeline. And if you might have, have a, have a um, boy at the end of it, and you might, be able to, you might have people who want to rescue that man, but he's got to have a lifeline. And the prayer really is, is, is the sort of the attachment cord to God. It's like the, the power cord. And so 
the 24th of July will be calling the whole of the nation to pray and fast and particularly for marriage and family and particularly to protect marriage and uh, you're right um, the Honourable Kevin Andrews we also met with Labor um, politicians that day uh, and they were also felt the same way I think there was a you could say there was consensus there wasn't there yeah there was yep yep and so Kevin Andrews articulated beautifully that if in fact we change the definition of marriage to uh, redefine marriage and and uh, allow homosexual marriage it's actually a cataclysmic change it's actually the final destruction of marriage because marriage has been under attack for the last 30 40 years in our society and of course the the no-fault marriage laws in 1975 really brought a massive change and shift in our society and that shift really made that adultery was 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 no longer wrong you could betray your partner that you'd made a promise to and it was no longer wrong uh, and it could no longer be held against you in a court of law and uh, what will happen when if a homosexual marriage comes in it actually allows people uh, and and gives the stamp of approval to homosexuality by the government in, in which case our children will have to be taught homosexuality at school as a as a optional um, sexual activity uh, and uh, there'll be many other changes that'll take place and it's all about dumbing deviancy down in other words what we do is we because we're sort of sinking into a, a quagmire of um, of evil and sinking in a quagmire of wrong the way only way out is we keep sort of redefining wrong and redefining um, black to be white and white to be black and we just keep moving the goalposts because that's the only way we can accommodate our um, our, our moral quicksand and uh, I believe we've got to make sure that marriage is protected between a man and a woman for life because children need a mother and a father I'm passionate for that children need a mother and a father and we should never rob them of that right and homosexual marriage will rob them of that right and I think we've got to make a stand we've got to pray and we've got to be honest too the church has been part of the problem the church has allowed uh, no-fault divorce the church has um, allowed pornography to sweep across this nation the church has not made a clear stand against immorality uh, and I'm talking about heterosexual immorality and of course what's happening now is we are reaping the, the, the consequences of our interaction uh, the consequences of our uh, of our laxity and uh, we've got to find a way to say God Father forgive us cleanse us heal us deliver us we accept responsibility for what's happening and we ask you now to save us save marriage save our families and save this nation well, mate, I can hear your passion and I can hear your heart. And uh, I know you. How many kids have you got? I've got five children from uh, four boys and one beautiful little girl, uh, 30 down to 18 years of age. Yep. And I know, Warwick, you and I, uh, we've spoken about this before. You know, we're doing this uh, for the current state of the nation, but we're also doing it for the future of our kids. Uh, you know, what, what kind of world uh, will our kids grow up in if, um, uh, the, you know, the moral quagmire uh, keeps getting deeper and deeper? You know, we, we need to make sure that, you know, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. And uh, I, I just love your heart and your passion. Uh, you're a good bloke, mate. I reckon you're a history maker. And uh, I also just wanted to mention, so if people want to find out more about the National Day of Prayer and Fasting for Marriages, uh, the website is nationaldayofprayer.com.au. Mate, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Look, it's awesome, and uh, if I can just say one last thing, I'd really encourage people to come down to Canberra on the 24th of July. Uh, this is a, uh, uh, something that hasn't happened before, uh, to my knowledge, certainly for, me- for many years. This is a National Day of Prayer and Fasting. Please come and join us at Parliament House, 10 till 4, on the 24th of July. It's a Sunday. But if you can't come down, pray in your own church. Gather some people, uh, either 
go and see your pastor, your minister, your priest, and ask them to announce it, and maybe have a prayer meeting after church. But let's pray, and let's believe God for a miracle, because the Scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from the wicked ways, uh, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Mate, you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com. And also, you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.